0: Coming back is a listener supported podcast to support the show and get exclusive access to podcast swag, giveaways, private grief hangouts and more. Head on over to patreon.com slash Shelby for Support the show for as little as $1 per month and change or cancel your support at any time. Thank you so much for listening. Grief Growers, I am also setting sail on the 2019 Bereavement Cruise. To join me and a boatload of other grieving hearts as we travel to Haiti, Jamaica, and Mexico, go to www.comingbackcruise.com, where you can sign up to receive more information on the cruise's sail dates, grief presenters, and onboard activities. I'll see you on the open seas. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after loss. On today's show, I'm talking to Robin Chodak, who lost her husband to suicide in 2005 and landed in the tangled web of myths and misinformation about life after a loved one dies by suicide. Also on the show today, I'm talking about my three big fears and the aftermath of loss and sharing an interview I did with fellow Bereavement Cruise presenter Linda Sheldon-Fell. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hello there, grief growers, and welcome to Coming Back This Week. I am so glad you're here listening today. Before I get into the show, I just want to thank everyone that attended my Patreon Google Hangout on Monday. As you've been hearing in previous episodes, this past Monday, October 22nd, was the very first time that I opened this monthly conversation up to all of my Patreon patrons. And I had such a lovely time holding space for you and answering your questions on grief and loss. Just to give you some highlights this month, we talked about anticipating the upcoming holiday season and some tips for getting through it, what it's like to lose the identity of caregiver when a loved one dies, and the physical, the literal physical anxiety that comes with counting the days and the months since a loved one died. These are important conversations to be having grief growers and you can have regular access to this space as well by supporting this podcast on Patreon. If you'd like to join me next month, simply go to patreon.com slash Shelby for Scythia and pledge to support coming back. You can pledge as little as $1 per month and get instant access to the link to join us in November's hangout. Your card is charged on the first of every month and you can change or cancel your support at any time with no strings attached. It really is a great way to have monthly check ins on your grief, as well as receive some other really neat podcast rewards too. So this week, I want to share an interview with you grief growers, not just the one that's coming uh, after the top of the show, but one that I was actually a guest on this week. On Monday evening, I sat down across from Linda Sheldon Fell, who is also a presenter on the Bereavement Cruise for her Moments of Hope live broadcast. We talked for about 45 minutes about my lost story and the work that I do here. But a big, big piece of our conversation was about fear and how fear is such a big emotion in grief. I revealed my three biggest fears after losing my mother, and I'll share them with you here today. The first fear is, I don't know if I'm going to survive this. Essentially, I am going to die. Second, no one will ever love me ever again. Essentially, the love is gone forever. And third, I can't trust anyone. Essentially, there is nothing stable for me to stand on. These are all huge, huge fears that presented themselves to me in the aftermath of my mom's death. And as Linda pointed out during our interview, they hearken back to earlier losses in my life, ones that I thought I'd forgotten, and old, old, old ancient stories that all humans have told themselves since the beginning of time. It's these repeating tapes of, my life is over. Love isn't real. I am not safe. So if you're struggling with these fears and stories, grief growers, I want you to know that I was in that place as well. These things are all consuming to our brains in the aftermath of loss. And in this interview, you can clearly see me feeling into these fears and kind of going back to that place five years ago in my interview with Linda. What got me to be less afraid Or how Linda phrased it, what brought me hope in a time of great fear was starting to collect the stories of other people who had sat with these fears and these stories and and made it through and practicing tools that gave the fear somewhere to go. The biggest reason I share stories here on coming back is because hearing them is what helped me most in the aftermath of my own loss. It it is really what I wish had existed in the world for me five years ago when my mom died. If you'd like to watch my full interview with Linda, you can visit the media page of my website at shelbyforsythia.com slash media, or you can find the interview on my Facebook, Patreon, or YouTube page. It's also in the show notes for this episode. It is okay, grief growers. I want you to know that it's okay. Even normal, even expected is the word I'm going to use to be absolutely effing terrified in the aftermath of grief. And what brings us back from fear, as I talked to with Linda Fell this week, is hearing and seeing and believing that others have lived with and beyond their own fear and picking up tools that we can use to live with our own fears. Next up, my interview with Robin Chodak, who lost her husband to suicide in 2005 and had to learn a whole new language and a whole new dance with grief. Robin Chodak left her job after 20 years as a computer software systems analyst following the suicide of her husband in 2005. Her journey through grief led to her transformation. She has since published two books, Be Gentle With Me, I'm Grieving, and Moving to Excellence, A Pathway to Transformation After Grief. Robin's life purpose is to encourage and motivate others through teaching and professional coaching. Her most recent work is with a global company at www.transformation.tv, where she's created a teaching video series on living a life of excellence after grief. Robin is a certified grief, life, and spiritual coach, a certified master NLP practitioner, and a Reiki practitioner. Robin, thank you so much for joining us on coming back today. And I'm excited to hear uh, your story. We discussed before we got on the mic today that we are neighbors from not across the pond, but across the lake from Chicago over to Michigan. So I'm excited to be speaking with somebody who's so close by geographically. But if you could please uh, start us off with your lost story.
1: Hi, Shelby. Thanks for having me on your show today. And My loss happened in 2005 when I came home from work and I found my husband, Steve, lying on our basement floor. He had shot himself in the head two times and I immediately fell into a state of shock. I didn't think I would ever recover from that, but... Here I am. Here I am 13 years later and my life has done a 180 degrees change and I call it transformation. And so my journey now after recover is recovery is to help others learn to love their life after loss. And that's what I do. That's what I want to help. I'm a grief coach, I'm a spiritual coach, I'm a life coach. And my, my main purpose is to really work with those who are grieving the loss of suicide because suicide loss is very complicated. And we go through so many emotions and we, many, many fall into post-traumatic stress disorder and they, they are not living their life to their highest potential and they fall into depression, and they need, they need help. And I offer help, and I also offer a message of hope and transformation because if I could do it, this is what I say to everyone that I speak with or talk to, if I could do it, then you can do it. And that's my message.
0: I'm so sorry for the loss of your husband and how he died, how you found him. And I'm wondering, as you say, I mean, suicide, I definitely acknowledge is different from other losses. Can you speak more on how suicide affected you and maybe affects the communities that you serve differently than other losses that we'll experience in our lifetimes?
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, there is so much guilt put onto those left behind because we feel at that time that we could have prevented it if we could have only done something different that day or the weeks before or the months before. And I said, if I would have stayed home from work that day, I should have stayed home. Why didn't I stay home? Why didn't I know this? Why didn't I see it coming? And we do these what if, and these why questions, and they make us crazy. And, you know, I lost my sister to cancer. So I I understand loss as well, regarding cancer and watching her for four years, she was 16 years old, you know, just, just, just die and slowly die from that cancer and endure a lot of surgeries. But I experienced that loss, but I never felt that if I would have stayed home that day, you wouldn't have died or killed herself or something to that effect. We feel a different responsibility when it comes to suicide. And we think we should have done something different. I, I would think that, okay, I must not have loved Steve enough. I must not have loved him enough. If I loved him enough, he wouldn't have done this. Well, you know, that's just a false belief that we have. It's one of those beliefs that we need to change. It's not about love. It's about their pain. You know, they were in so much pain, and we need to begin to understand that. And that's, that's what I find working mostly with my clients is there's just so much guilt. And we know we all, as we grow and evolve, we know that we really can't control anyone. Only ourselves and the choices that we make. So I hope I answered your question. Yeah,
0: that, that's that's perfect. It's so it's so heartbreaking because there's uh, I I don't even know if I want to phrase it in this way, but there's almost like a preventable element to suicide, or there's the illusion of I could have prevented, or I could have said, done, been something different to stop this prevent this stall this even from happening um and i guess i'm wondering what it feels like because this is not i did a podcast a couple weeks ago on suicide and it's the suicide of someone close to me is not a loss that i have experienced i think i said on that show it is a life i have not lived and i'm wondering i guess what it felt like to carry that to to have that suddenly Exist into your life and then navigate the weeks, months, and years after his death.
1: Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> I do want to go back before I answer that. Can I go back to something else you said oh, sure. about? I'll answer that in a moment. But you know, you said something about preventable, and I did a blog or I did a um, a Facebook live, I think, on this topic because. Yeah, right after the, the suicides of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. Because mental awareness is needed, okay? We understand that, and we there's a lot of research done. But they're, they're making this claim, and I see this, and I read this, that saying suicide is preventable. And I, I just have to caution the way this is done, because at the other end, I'm on the other side on all of us. When we see that, it it almost adds that get more guilt upon us. And it's really difficult. So, I, you know, I, I, mental awareness needs to come up with a, maybe a new way to say that, okay, or or bring in the other people on the other side because you hear it's preventable. It's like, oh, my gosh, well, now I know I should have done something. That just heaps another level on that. And I just want to, you know, make that known because – It's really affecting some of the people that I'm talking to. It's keeping them kind of in a stuck state because, you know, this is part of the guilt we're already experiencing. And like I said, you know, we do need mental awareness. I'm not saying that I'm a big advocate about that, but I'm on the other side. Okay. I'm here with all of us who are survivors. I'm one of them. And that's who I care about. I care about us and how we are going to get through this and, you know, move beyond that and learn to live our life that we love. Okay. So does that make sense to you? It does. And, And
0: the way that you phrase that, it sounds like there's no regard given to the family and friends of people who have completed suicide. It's, you know, this is totally preventable. And then all the blame goes right to you. And it doesn't speak to, you know, the type of I don't even want to use the word preventable anymore, but um, the the type of preventable that can get out in front of the people who are considering suicide, not their friends and family necessarily, or even all parties.
1: Right, exactly. And,
0: and, you know, it's about
1: education, and it's the same thing with the word committed. And, you know, I hear from my personal community that that word is – it's very hard for a survivor to hear that word because they associate that word with a crime. Okay. That's what a committed usually means. You have committed a crime. And so it's a negative connotation on their survivor. And so what I say to my community is, you know, I don't believe that people are saying that word with a malicious intent. It's more about you. If someone says that to you, you can kindly ask them not to use that word. Okay. And it's about, again, you know, education, education. And yeah, they are our, our loved ones. My husband, he didn't commit a crime. You know, he, he did not do a, a crime, okay? It was not worthy of him being punished and put in jail. And that's what the word committed is associated with. And I know people say it all the time, but, and I said it, Shelby, I said it in 2005. I didn't know what, what other word to use, mm-hmm. okay? when it happened. But now I'm so cognizant of it and I don't want to offend anyone. So I've just changed my language. You know, I say die by suicide. That's how they died. So these are the kind of things that it's it's about, you know, more education for those left behind because we're here and we need to survive. And yes, I understand there's that whole group of people who are depressed and are maybe contemplating and we contemplating ending their life. And of course we need to embrace that, but we have to also on the other side, always be aware that you have these people that are yet to survive and and try to regain their life back and live their life. And we don't need any extra things heaped on us.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm hearing you loud and clear and it sounds like, hmm, uh, different from other losses. Society already has enough to say about grief in general, but especially when it comes to suicide, it's like, here's what we already have to say about grief, plus a side of this and an extra of this and blah, you know, and hold this too and, and, and take on, it feels like so much more.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it, do, it does. It does. I mean, I, I can say that personally because of my own experience. And like I said, I've had other losses as well. Um, and just from, you know, my clients and the people that I speak with and work with, it is, it's, it's like I said earlier, it's, it's, you have these extra levels of complication, but, you know, you can we can peel those layers away and we can begin to work on these things. Okay. And we can begin to process our grief. We need to process our grief. And that's why I wrote, I wrote this book, my first book called be gentle with me. I'm grieving. And the reason I wrote that is I wanted to people to understand when someone has lost someone, to suicide. You, we need to be gentle with them. Okay. We need to be kind and with all losses, of course, but this is my experience. So I'm writing from my experience, but we need to, you know, let people know. So one of my clients said, she said, oh my gosh, that book, it was my voice. She couldn't even speak it. And she said, she just gave it to her family and said, you know, read this book because Robbins was saying what I can't say, you know, you need to treat me with kindness and let me just hold some space for me, hold space to just allow me to grieve. So I think that's really important when you're going through this, just surround yourself with people that are going to hold this space for you and love you and allow you to just grieve because we can't get to, if we're, if we're, We can't get to the next step and live the life we love until we've gone through the grieving process.
0: I think something that we're pointing to here, you know, in the first few minutes of this interview is that words and vocabulary matter, whether it's changing the words that we're already using or finding somebody else's words that are like, oh, that's my voice and I didn't even know that was my voice. I think there's so much power and connection in finding other people's stories that sound like yours or voices that echo. That's what I want to say, you know, kind of that. That's why doing things like this show and, and reading things like your book are so important.
1: Yes. Yes. And that's, you know, Shelby, that's exactly right about voice. And that's one of the things I I say is we need to begin to tell our stories and because once we can share our story with someone else then we can offer hope and encouragement and i know you know this cuz that's why you're doing what you're doing and and this is it's important and oftentimes we can't share them right away you know we have to process and we have to go through it it took me i remember i went to my first support group for suicide survivors. I couldn't speak. I couldn't even get any words out. But I listened to everyone in that room. And there was one couple who lost their child three years ago to suicide. And I remember thinking to myself that I wanted to be in that place where they were. I didn't know how I was going to get there. I couldn't even envision it at the moment. But their story And their hope gave me hope. So I think it's important for us all to tell our stories.
0: Can you talk about what it was like for you to start looking for hope or for pictures of people who had come back from experiencing a loved one's death by suicide? Um, Because I know sometimes in the grief community, especially talking about hope or transformation or, you know, a better life or loving the life that you have after loss can seem like really trite. Uh, And, and can you talk Mm -hmm. about, you know, what that was like to start reaching for those resources? I mean, I'm asking a lot of questions all at once here, but like, was hope what you were looking for or were you looking for something else?
1: Well, I was just looking for wanting to survive because there was one point where I just thought I didn't want to go on. I actually attempted it, sat in my car with the engine running and said, I just want to join Steve. It's I just didn't feel any hope at any point at that time. And there was a very profound specific presence and something just said to me no. And when I reflect back on that I realize that you know the difference between Steve you know ending his life and me not ending my life is I wasn't you know a depressed I wasn't in depression and I wasn't in pain and I had my logical mind still at work and when you get to that place where you Choose to end your life. Your your mind is not working properly. Okay, so I did have that moment, and when I realized that, okay, this is not the time. I just had um, my grand. I had a grandbaby. She was born, and I thought, you know, it's not. I can't check out on her, you know. So anyway, I just decided that I was going to stay right, and what I did was kind of retreat, but that retreating, well, first of all, before, let me just say I needed to get help because I knew that those thoughts of ending my life were not good. So I actually, I went and I sought help. I saw a psychotherapist and I saw a, um, a, a coach and I went to support groups. So I think it's very important for survivors to seek help. And then, like you said, was there hope? Well, it was a very slow process, but I had to spend, I spent a lot of time alone. And it's it's almost as if I would walk and walk and walk. I would walk to Steve's grave every day, and it was about a a round trip, six-mile walk. And it was, (laughs) I, I call it now a walking meditation, which it really was, because I was able to just just clear everything out of my mind, all my former beliefs, all these beliefs that I had that weren't serving me because they were just keeping me stuck. I just really had to get rid of everything and just kind of slowly, slowly be be filled with new ideas and new hope. And that's when it came. It it came and, you know, and then it began and then I had to take action. Okay? Because you have to you have to do things. You can't just stay in your bed or stay in your home. You have to begin to do things. And and I did. And like I said, the number one thing is to reach out for help because when you're around other people and you hear their stories, this inspires you and can encourage you. And there's people that have compassion for you and they understand you and they're not judging you. And this these are things that are so important in the beginning. Because you do feel there's such a stigma out there and you feel judged. I felt so judged. I didn't want to leave my house. You know, what are my neighbors going to think? What is the, my husband was a politician. What are, what are the political people thinking? What, you know, they want to know what's going on. Was I a bad wife? <laughs> I mean, all these things run through your head. You think you're crazy. <sighs> so that's, I mean, I probably gave you way more than you wanted to know there.
0: I think that's Perfect because hope is something that was also slow growing for me. I, I think, yeah, at first kind of like you, I wanted to know, I'm like, I wanted to know that I wasn't crazy. I wanted to know that I wasn't insane or losing my mind or, or similarly to find, I always say like, quote unquote, my people, you have to find your people in the aftermath of loss, the ones that can hold space, the ones that have walked the road before. And I'm, I'm wanting to know from you in this moment, what tips or advice that you might have for people who are going to start that conversation for the first time, either with a psychotherapist or a coach or a support group? Because I I definitely did a show in the past uh, called Acknowledgement is Not Enough. So knowing that we need help is good and and it's It's important to recognize that in ourselves, but acknowledgement is not enough. We must take action. So for people who are, you know, standing at that threshold and getting ready to reach out for help, what is some advice that you have for them?
1: Well, I would ask them, you know, if they were going to come work with me or, you know, I always start with what are they thinking right now? because we have to really get down to our thinking and our thoughts because our thoughts are what is causing us to feel the way we are feeling i i'm you know i'm an nlp practitioner as well and a reiki practitioner so i understand it's important to get to the mind and body connection so we need to understand what are your thoughts right now? Okay. What are you thinking? And then we get into what are you thinking? And then how is that making you feel in your body? Okay. And what would you like to be? What do you really want to be thinking? Or what can you see yourself doing that's going to make you feel better? It could be a simple thing like, oh, I want to just, you know what, I might, I really would like to have a chocolate ice cream cone right now. You know, once this starts to emerge out of them, they might not have known that because the grief has really pushed stuff down so far, but really, that chocolate ice cream cone would give them a lot of pleasure, and they would feel good at that moment. So we have to get into the feelings and the thoughts, and that's really important.
0: Yeah, I so agree, and and that's definitely something that I pose to my grief goers as well as if almost as if if you could have anything right now in this moment, what would it be? And it's one of those centering questions that kind of, it doesn't take you out of grief necessarily, but it starts you thinking down a different path. And you're like, okay, so if this went exactly how I wanted to go, or if these are my thoughts now, and what do I want to be thinking in the future? What are the dots that we connect so we can get there? Yeah.
1: Um, Does anybody want a chocolate ice cream cone? (laughs) Any of your listeners? You know, I don't
0: know. I know for me personally, in my story, it was to be held. Mm. I you know especially mm-hmm. because my loss was my mom and having that maternal kind of arms wrapping around feeling was you know suddenly vanished off the face of the earth um and so it was interesting because what I finally found was was a space to be energetically held by my aunt who is also an intuitive one of my mom's sisters um but to also start giving and receiving like physical embraces more freely and it's just something that didn't occur to me before, but I'm like, what do I really want? And I'm like, I want to be held. And so to to hug people, to stand beside people, to touch their shoulders, and then to be energetically held in, in spaces like meditation or or Reiki or things like that were, were supremely helpful. But I didn't know that that's what I wanted until somebody asked me that question. And that was pretty much the pivotal moment in my loss is when God or the universe or whoever, you know, looked at me and said, I wish you would just let me hold you. And I was like, oh, that's exactly what I want. I had no idea.
1: Oh, wow. Well, that was, that's beautiful that you were able to, you know, receive that and, and, and really connect with that too. You know, I mean, that's, the, that's really the first step. I mean, understanding that that's really what you, what you desired. And I'm so sorry for your loss, Shelby.
0: Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And it it comes through in different ways, which I think is probably true for you and your community as well. I'm wondering what, what stereotypes about suicide do you work maybe the most hard to dispel or erase or correct? Well,
1: like I said, you know, the, the stereotypes, there still is that stigma. <laughs> and you know, there is a religious stigma. And I actually had to, you know, really rethink all my religious beliefs. Because my husband and I, we were we were deacons in our church. And, and the church that I was going to, they, there were many that believed that because Steve died by suicide, that he wasn't going to make it to that place up there that people call heaven. And instead he was going to make it to that place called hell. And boy, that, Really caused me to change my thinking because I thought, how could this supreme entity, God, which I use that word God, and call creator of the universe or whatever you choose, but this supreme entity, like, put this person, my husband Steve, who was the most lit- loving, giving man I had ever known, burn in hell for eternity? I just couldn't resonate with that. So that's, that's that's a difficult place for many, many people.
0: It is. There's a wrestling with religion that happens.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. And until, you know, that was kind of one of those things that was keeping me stuck early on. Because I, was, I had to, like you said, I had to wrestle with that and I had to bet. And I'm like, who do I want to believe? Am I going to believe this system that was ingrained in me since I was a child? And now that this tragedy happened, it allowed me to begin to really examine all my beliefs. And I realized, you know what? That's a belief that's not serving me and where I want to go. Because if I continued to believe that, then I would still be stuck. And that's when I... Left the church. I pretty much left everything. I left church. I left politics, (laughs) everything, because those were two organizations I was very, very involved in. And it was amazing because I didn't have to have all these imposed ideas in my head. And I just began to, you know, remove those and allow new ideas to come into my head that moved me in the forward direction, not ideas that would keep me stuck. So does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm, I mean about that?
0: It does. And it makes sense that, that these identities of being aligned with the church and aligned with politics would fall away as a result of everything that had happened. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to move now into the role as a presenter that you're playing on the bereavement cruise. And you mentioned this phrase earlier, and I noticed it came up in in the description of your presentation on board as well, which is loving your life after loss. And I'm curious, first, as to how you got to love your life after loss, because living life after loss is one thing, surviving, staying alive, you know, doing the day to day is one thing, but to fall in love with the life that you've created for yourself after loss is another. And then how are you Transmitting that to other people on the bereavement cruise.
1: Oh yeah! So I'm very excited to be one of the presenters, and I know you're you're with us too, Shelby. So that's going to be great to meet you in person.
0: And I'm so excited.
1: <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly.
1: And um, so this will be this is the third cruise that they're doing. This will be the third annual, and this is my first time presenting. And my workshop is called Loving, Love Life After Loss. It's my tagline on my website, which I say, learn to love life after loss, because that's kind of what I'm doing, teaching you, right, teaching one to do that. But it is about loving life. And I started to do the things that I love. And I wrote my second book. It's called Moving to Excellence, A Pathway to Transformation After Grief. And I have a 10-step approach in that book that helps Will help teach you live a life of excellence, and one of those steps is to do the things you love. And you know, you may not even know what that is in the beginning, but you begin to be open and you experiment. So, for me, when Steve was alive, I was a dancer. I was a West Coast swing dancer.
0: Oh, how fun! I've done that one time. Oh yeah, it's loved a, it's a, it
1: there's so many dance clubs in Chicago area as well. And lots of fun, but my husband didn't dance, but he was my biggest cheerleader. He would come to me when I would do competitions and travel with me and, you know, just cheer me on. And it was great. Well, after he died, I said, well, there's no way I'm going to this dance community. First of all, I don't want everybody to know that my husband died by suicide. So there's that stigma again. And it's like, I just wanted to run away from it and forget it. And I didn't want to be questioned. And I just said, no, I'm not dancing ever again. Well, word got out. And this one woman contacted me, which was ironic. We had been in a little dance group together and we had done a performance together, but I had no clue what had happened to her. Well, her fiance had died by suicide. She was the one to find him. And she contacted me. Oh, wow. It, it was just amazing. Oh, I know. It was. It was a wow because it's like, oh, my gosh. It it was in the initial stages. And I could trust her and believe her because she had the same experience. And she said to me, she said, Robin, she said, dancing helped get my life back. Because she was a dancer as well. And I said I can't dance. I can't go back to that community. I don't want anybody to know anything. There's no way. She said, "Well, why don't you find a different dance?" And I just gave her every excuse. I said, "No. You know, the the, the um ballroom dancing inter- intersects with the West Coast swing. There's no way." And she said, "How about salsa?" And I said, "No. I don't I don't particularly like the salsa beat. The beat, the beat's a very strong beat, and I didn't resonate with that beat." And, and she said, well, how about tango? And I said, oh my gosh, I never danced a tango in my life. I said, I only know about Al Pacino in the movie Dancing (laughs) Tango. You know, the the scent of a woman. And so it was so strange because talk about the, the energies of the universe or whatever. I went home that night, you know, to my home alone and went up on the computer and I Googled. Tango in Chicago. And you know what? There was a class offered, and I had nothing else to do, nothing else to do in my life. And I thought, I'm just going to try it. I needed to start to be brave. I needed to start to do things on my own without my husband as a single person. And boy, I'll tell you, it took a lot of courage. But I did it. And that's what changed my life. It was one of the things you know, that changed my life. I started doing tango and that's where I met my current husband (laughs) at tango. It's
0: doing a different dance.
1: So yes. Yeah. Doing a different dance. I love that. That's a great metaphor for it. Yes. Different dance in life. And so I I just, uh, tango is amazing. And I said, I will do tango till, till I die. (laughs) Because it's, One of those things, you know, it just gets you, you got to find something you love that brings you joy and passion.
0: And it's just a matter of getting out there and trying some things. It is. And I often talk about grief being like a, an experiment or like an involuntary scavenger hunt. And so you're, you're going on this Mm -hmm. this journey and you're not really sure what you're going to find, but you're trying things on and finding things all along the way that, that may or may not fit, that may or may not suit you. Uh, so, so what can people expect when they roll up into the bereavement cruise and sit in your workshop?
1: Well, well, let me see. We'll do a couple. Um, it's going to be just more of a, you know, a, a session. We're not going to do any hands-on things. We're not going to do a a walking meditation or anything. We're on a cruise; it's kind of hard. But you know, we're going to talk about grief, and we're going to talk about some things about grief that they may not have heard. And then I want to just move right on over to how do you learn to live the life you love? And one of the things is, you know, like I said, you're going to, you know, do things, think about doing things you love. So, and hopefully they get excited. I mean, I want to get people excited that, Hey, you know, this is possible. Hey, if I could do it, then you could do it and just spark that desire and that hope within them. Because that's really all, you know, we're, we're all just planting little seeds along our way on our journey. And when when the person's ready, you know, we hear a lot of information, just like you said, you know, the words and the voices and everything, this is all going into our minds and we hear it and we plant these little seeds. And when someone's ready, you know, they're going to take that and that's, that seed will just grow and maybe they will. They'll, they'll, they'll go on that scavenger hunt, like you said, and they'll find something that they like and that could be the thing that changes their life. And so that's really what I want to do. I want to, you know, spark someone's desire for wanting to really love their life because it's it's not just reserved for a few, it's for all of us.
0: Yeah, and I think your gift is asking the right questions and putting people in that frame of mind where they're not only thinking about their loss, they're shifting from here's what I've lost to, oh yeah, here's what I love. And I think it's different because in the aftermath of loss, pretty much our only focus is on everything that's falling apart. So to take that gaze and to kind of shift it, you know, not a 180, but a soft, a gentle with me, I'm grieving shift, uh, to what do you still love? What still, you know, speaks to you in that way. It's such a great self inquiry after loss and can, yeah. And can spark that inspiration to be like, okay, maybe this is possible because there are things that I still love that exist out there in the world.
1: Right. Right. And, and, you know, as we go, and for me, it, that was perfect the way you described it, because I already love the dance. I just needed to find a new dance. But if it, you know, there's other things that I have found that I, I love now that I didn't know existed. So it's a matter of, yeah, experimenting. And really, it's, it's, it's as you're on your journey of self-discovery, you're finding more things about yourself that, yeah, you know, maybe I do have a gift. Maybe I, maybe I, I can paint, you know, you might've tossed it around when you were young or whatever, and you just threw it and threw it away. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, maybe I can do that. So you kind of open up, you know, to possibilities and that, and that's key.
0: Robin, this has been such a joy talking to you today because it's often hard for people to put suicide and loving life and possibilities all in the same group together, all in the same sentence together, even. So I'm wondering, before we get off the air for the day, where online people can find you, where they can find you in person, where they can find your books as well, if they'd like to get in touch and become a part of your community. Okay, yes.
1: Well, it's easy. My website is www.robinchodak. It's my name. All one word. Robin, R-O-B-I-N-C-H-O-D-A-K. Robin com You can find me there. And pretty much everything is on my website. I do have a YouTube channel. I have a Facebook support page for suicide survivors, and that is called It is called, oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's called Recover Now From Loss. So it doesn't say suicide survivors in the title, but if you Google Facebook suicide survivor support, you'll see it. But if you were typing it in facebook.com, it would be Recover Now From Loss. Okay. And I'm on Twitter as Suicide Recovery. I'm on Instagram as Robin Chodek underscore coach. And I'm actually also about a couple months ago, I started working for this company, Shelby. It's um, called transformation.tv. And I love working with them because their message is about basically helping people, helping everyone get a better life. And it has a lot of authors and teachers on here. They all have different messages. And I'm on there because of my grief experience but I do a um, bi-monthly interview. So I'm the interview host and I get to interview all these amazing teachers. It's kind of like what you get to do. It's awesome, right? When you get to talk with people.
0: <laughs> oh, it's so much fun. I get to I get to be a fangirl and an interviewee at the same time. I'm like, I love your work. Let's have a conversation about it.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I get to do that every two weeks and I do love it. And I, I just, like last week I had this uh, this woman, talking about the angels and her experience with the angels. So it's just so interesting. So I I love that. But you can, all of this is on my website. Pretty much everything that I'm talking about will, you know, you'll get directed from my website somewhere. And I actually just posted, I'll be speaking, doing a presentation at the Unity Church in Naperville in August. That's on my website. And then, of course, um, as you know, you know, we're all, putting out on social media about the bereavement cruise. So that's on my website. And um, congratulations to you, by the way, Shelby,
0: (laughs) you are just getting so many people to sign up. That's so awesome. (laughs) It's so much fun. It's so unexpected. But I thank my grief growers. Every time I get on the air, I'm like, this is so cool. I cannot wait to meet all of you. Because the weird thing about a podcast is you very rarely meet the person, the people that you're speaking to. And so I'm like, we're all going to be on a boat together. This is going to be so much fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. And I hear your, you know, it's so funny because I get to hear your voice often. I hear it on the call for the the bereavement um, call that we're on. And you have a beautiful voice, by the way. Thank you. And then I got to see you on your Facebook Live today. So that was really cool, too.
0: (laughs) I do try and let people, you know, see, I, I try and maintain as much transparency as possible. I think with grief, and you probably know this as well, is it's so important to to not be like an invisible talking head or like words on a page with no human behind it. I think it's so important to to really be like, this is me, this is my story, you know, here's what I have to offer. And there's so much emotion that can be transmitted when you go beyond just, you know, writing things down, telling people how to grieve. It... it it's It creates a different type of relationship, so it's really been an honor to to see that manifest in real life and to continue putting energy into creating that so thank you for saying that that's really important to me.
1: Oh good well, you're very welcome and thank you for all that you're doing and thank you for for having me i'm I'm glad to be on your show and and I hope that you know we'll get some more people on the cruise and and then people go to my website, they they can get information, they can order my books, and you know, if they need some coaching, I would be more than happy. I offer a twenty minute discovery call to see if we'd like to coach together. And I'm just here. I'm just, you know, I'm doing what I believe that I need to be doing at this moment in my life, and that is to offer hope and transformation for those who have lost loved ones, especially to suicide.
0: And you are doing brilliant work in this world. Thank you so much for coming on today.
1: Well, thank you, Shelby.
0: So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. Thank you so much to Robin Shodak for coming on Coming Back today and really breaking down some misconceptions about suicide. There is still so much to be done and so much to be known to address suicide in our culture, and I'm so glad she came on to shed light on it. Robin came back by dancing a new kind of dance and by listening to the stories of other survivors of suicide. You can find a link to Robin's website in the show notes. Receive a week's worth of grief healing and workshops in the Western Caribbean on the 2019 Bereavement Cruise. You can always request more information free at comingbackcruise.com. If this show has changed the way you see grief and loss, go to patreon.com slash Shelby where you can pledge for as little as $1 per month and get some very cool podcast rewards for doing so, including that monthly grief support hangout with me. Thank you to Denise, who became a new patron this past Monday and joined me live for my monthly hangout. It was so good to meet you. If you liked what you heard today, you can also support the show by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and by telling a friend about coming back, because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you to Mr. Addy Goldstein, who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby for Forsythia, Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Grief shelby Shelby Forsythia, or simply Shelby If you'd like to leave a question or comment for a future show, leave a voicemail or text 312-725-3043 or email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing the space and time with you today. I see you. I am proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. And I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing.